you would please stand and open your Bibles. We're going to read a couple of different passages this morning. But we are going to start in Acts chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Um, next section we'll be reading will be Deuteronomy 6, and I'll be reading 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord, Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life, and that, you, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God, Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm going to be reading First Peter 4, 7 through 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of manifold grace of, of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as an as the oracles of God. If, any, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm hoping this morning, as we've been singing, that you've picked up on a theme Love, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and, and we'll be able to see, at least in part, 
how that love gets manifested and is intended to be manifested in the life of the church. But really, a large part of what we're going to be talking about this morning is that big, huge subject of love. We're going to cover everything God's Word has to say about love this morning. No, not really. There's a whole lot in there, isn't there, about love. But we're going to tackle at least a a little bit from a foundational standpoint as we're talking about building blocks here of God's church. Uh, It's hard to talk about building blocks of God's church without speaking of love, isn't it? So we're going to talk about that this morning. Before we do so, I'm going to ask if you would join me. And let's lift this time up to the Lord. Lord, we're grateful for your steadfast love that never ceases. We thank you for those mercies that are new every day, those mercies that never come to an end. You love us with an unconditional love, that agape love. It's a love that just keeps on giving, and it keeps on giving. Lord, we are thankful and grateful for that love. It's a love that expresses itself ultimately through the giving of your Son. And Lord, as we look to your word today about what it is to love, we discover a biblical definition, which is far different from the world's definition. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would show us what it is to love you and to love our neighbor. Help us love everyone who walks inside this building. To those who live inside of our homes, I pray, Father, that you would show us how to love them as you would love them. To those who come through our doors in our homes, guests, friends, strangers, co-workers, I pray that each guest is given an opportunity to see the love of Christ on display through the household ministry of hospitality. So Lord, this morning we ask that you would teach us, teach us what it is to love you, and teach us what it is to love one another. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, there are going to be several scriptures. So you can jot down a lot of these scriptures and maybe use these as time later uh, for you as an individual to go back and revisit or time maybe together as a family you can revisit some of these scriptures. A whole lot of scriptures this morning. Shortly after washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus is found in John chapter 13 expounding what he calls A new commandment. Remember that? A new commandment I give to you, he says. That you love one another. Let me ask you, church, is that a new commandment? When Jesus was speaking, is it really a new commandment to love? Was that the first time they'd heard that? Love one another? No, it wasn't. It's new in the sense, and he goes on, he says, As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Just context reminder, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are precursors to what? To the cross. He is about to show them, as as John says, the full extent of his love. And the precursor to that full extent is 
taking the towel. We talked about that last week, right? He serves them. He washes their feet. By this, he says, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In Matthew chapter 22, 35 to 40, a lawyer comes to Jesus to test him with a question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Think about that. All of the law, all of the prophets hang on those two commandments. By the way, those two commandments Jesus speaks of, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. Simply put, it's love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Simple message, really, isn't it? It's a simple message. And yet, why is it that we have such a hard time obeying what it says? Love God, love your neighbor. I believe we tend to give a head nod and lip service to those words in Matthew 22. As though knowing what it says is sufficient. Loving God and loving our brother and sister requires more than intellectual agreement. Loving God and loving the brethren requires action, doesn't it? Action. I was listening to a message, uh, Vody Balkum, an older message, um, not too long ago, and I was, I was struck again by the definition that he put forward of biblical love. And I'd like to share that with you because I think it's appropriate for our time this morning. He says, love is an act of the will, right? Accompanied by emotion, not led by emotion, nor is it absent of emotion. It's accompanied by emotion, which leads to action on behalf of the object of your love. Leads to action on behalf of its object. So in other words, what's that mean? It means you don't fall in love. You choose to love. It's an act of the will. You're not zapped by the arrows of a fictitious archer and and therefore rendered helpless to love. Instead, you choose to love that other person and you take action to show that other person that you really do love them. You see, biblical love is an act of the will. It's accompanied by emotion, which leads to action on behalf of its object. And so let's ask the question, do you love in this way? Do you love God in this way? Do you choose to love God each day? Are you choosing that? What indicators are there that you really do love God in your life? What actions are you taking that show you love God? 
I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, from an emotion standpoint, the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 97, one of my favorite verses. The psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. The song we are going to sing this morning begins, let it be said of us that the Lord was our what? Passion. Let it be said of us that the Lord was our passion, that with gladness we bore every cross we were given. You know what? I'm afraid we don't always face those crosses we bear with gladness. First John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death to life. We know We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So loving God manifests itself in loving my brother. Think about this. Or or 1 John 3, 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth seems to indicate that saying, I love you, that saying, I love you, is incomplete. Let's not love simply in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Seems to be a full picture when we include the deed, include the truth to what we're saying. First John three seventeen. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? How? How does the love of God abide in that one? Or James says it this way, you see someone in need and all you do is wish him well, farewell, hope everything works out. But you're not loving toward him? You're not adding in James 2 your works to your faith. You see, the love of God does not abide in the one who shuts up his heart toward his brother. A love for God always expresses itself in a love for others. And listen, that love for others isn't the kind of love that Jesus addresses this very clearly. You love those who love you in return. Sinners do that. Are you always looking for someone to reciprocate your love before you love them? You want them to love you and then you'll love them back? Listen, we've got a directive this morning from the Lord. And the directive is this. Love Him. Love one another. If you don't get anything else this morning, I hope you hear those two things. He's called us to those two things. Love Him. Love one another. If you've been here these last several weeks, you know that we're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Those are two key passages of scripture that talk about the foundation. There's no other foundation that can be laid other than that which is already laid. That's Jesus Christ. 
And we're building upon this foundation that at, at the foundation, at the core of this foundation, we're building upon something that's before us. We're not pioneering a new trail here. We're building on the foundation which has the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That's what we're building on. That's what I believe he, he desires his church to be built upon. Of all the things, as we think about the Bible calling us living stones, we are living stones and we're being built up together to a holy temple in Christ. And of all the things that we're to put on as a new creation in Christ, love. Do you know that love is given a significant place there? Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 says, But above all these things, there's been a whole list of things, but above all these things, Put on what? Love. Put on love. Which is the bond of perfection. If love is something we put on, church, as a new creation in Christ, what then does this say about us prior to having established a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? See, apart from being called a child of God, we don't even truly have a concept of what it is to love as Christ loved us. 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. It's almost like a wow, you know, statement. Behold. What manner of love? So what is it about God's manner of love that stands out, ought to stand out to us? Let me give you two 316s. These are familiar ones. John 316. We talked about this at the first Sunday of the month. Foundational verse. For God so loved the world, he so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. He became our substitute. He atoned completely, sufficiently for our sins, right? He laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we're called to love one another. Scriptures make this very clear. Not an option. This is a call to love one another. And yet the mandate to love one another has attached to it an understanding of God's great love toward us. I love the title of Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love. You may have read that book, Crazy Love. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's a very good read. And I love the premise of the title, Crazy Love. You know, it's not so crazy that we love God. I mean, after all, he made us, he bought us, he redeemed us, he did all these things. We ought to love this one who did all of these things for us. What's crazy is that an infinite, holy, all-wise, all-knowing God would choose to love us. That's crazy. It really is. He's chosen to set his affection upon us. He's chosen that.
the mandate to love one another. You know, if, if we're called to love one another, I, I do believe it would be a great exercise, maybe even this week, to take inventory of what God did to make possible our efforts to love one another. 1 John chapter 4. By the way, if you've noticed several scriptures in 1 John, great book to read about the love of God, isn't it? Huh? 1 John chapter 4. Follow with me in verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You might underline that. God is love. That's who he is. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we, what's the purpose? That we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. A little bit later in 1 John 4, 16, he says that, he repeats that phrase. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You see, God is the fountainhead. He's the source. He's the origin of love. Out of him comes love. Love is not only expressed through the action of sending his son... But it's the very nature of God himself. He is love. That's who he is. That's not oftentimes who we are. He's called us to shine forth his love. But we need to understand God is love. That's who he is. And we ought to be grateful that that's who he is. He's very loving. He's very merciful. He's very gracious. He's very compassionate. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. Did you hear that? We love him because he first loved us. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love, his own unique love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the love of God is, as we sang already this morning, truly it's, it's rich and pure, measureless and strong, isn't it? That, that's a great description of his love. We're called by God to love one another, and yet we love because he first loved 
us. So let me ask a question this morning. What happens, and I know this happens from time to time, what happens when the love of Jesus is absent in our lives, when it's maybe not as evident as it ought to be in our lives? Christ called out the church of Ephesus on this very thing. This is important for us. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus, speaking to the church there at Ephesus, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. He talked about how they had labored, they'd worked hard, they'd done some great things. The church at Ephesus had cleaned house in many ways. They had persevered, they'd kept working for the Lord. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Think about it. A church that's left her first love. It's pretty tragic. Pretty significant. See, when you become a child of God, the love of God, the Bible says, is poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5, right? You are empowered to express the love of Christ, having the Spirit of Christ now abiding in you. How often do you turn your attention away from your first love, friends? Your first love. I'm grateful that the message to the church of Ephesus doesn't end in Revelation 2, verse 4. Because for those of us here who have forgotten our first love, he tells us in Revelation 2, verse 5, how we can get back on track with him. The the Bible speaks, you know, the word is profitable for all things, right? It's profitable for rebuke. This is one of those ouch rebukes. But it's also profitable for correction. He's correcting here. How can we get course correction? Revelation 2, 5, he says, Remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works. And I was drawn to that, the first works. Do the first works. What are the first works? I think it's the basic stuff we've been talking about. Love God. Love Him. Do the first works. Do those things that, that you did right at the beginning. When you, when, you chose to, uh, when you chose to say, and you said yes, you believed, received Christ as Lord, John 1, 12. When you started walking with him in a relationship, there was this love. There was this excitement. There was this passion to follow him. And somehow, someway, that's been lost. It's waned. Your enthusiasm for the Lord, your delighting in the Lord is somehow just gone down stuff's happened in your life trials have come in your life all this stuff has bogged you down and you have essentially lost your first love friends it's important that we know it is so incredibly hard and difficult to love people in general but it's it's also it's even more difficult to love people when we've lost our first love But I praise God, he's given to us hope. He's called us to repent. To repent. And there's a warning here. If we don't, 
else I'll come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So love for God is key. Loving God. A love for His Son. Remember who the Son is? He is the exact representation of the Father. Or as John 1.18 says, Jesus is the one who declares God. While Jesus was walking the face of the earth, He was God in the flesh. This was God's gift of love to the world. He so loved the world that he gave his son. We must not push to the side loving God. We must not neglect and forget our first love, church. Where we failed in this, the Bible does correct us and we praise Him that He gives us instruction here. It's repent. It's do the first works. It's love. Love me, Jesus says to His church. Love me. Get this right and everything flows as it should out of this one. Love me, the Lord says. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God. How do we know that we love the children of God? When we love God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God. This might be one you just plaster up on the wall. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. You want to know how someone loves the Lord? See whether or not they're loving the brethren. See whether or not they're keeping the commandments. You know, there's a lot I like about 1 John. I love the simplicity. Sometimes I'm not real bright. I I like real simple things. John gives us real simple instruction here. We're called to love God and love one another. Loving God expresses itself in keeping His commandments. And this is where I love to just kind of open up Psalm 119 because there's a whole treasury here of a man of God who loved God's Word. He loved God. Get this. He loved God. Out of His love for God came His love for God's Word. Psalm 119 14 through 16, I have rejoiced, he says, in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He loves God. Do you? Do you love his word? Do you rejoice in the opportunity that you have to open his word? Psalm 119, 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Do you love God this way? 
Listen to 1 John 3.14 again. We know that we have passed from death to life. From death to life. We know we've crossed over, right? We know because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says, If someone says, I love God, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, listen, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. We can't, listen, we want to do this so badly on so many occasions. We cannot, must not, according to what God says, we cannot disconnect our love for God and our love for people. I love God, but I don't like him. I hate him. And you may not even verbalize it, but in your heart of hearts, that's what you think about that person. Doesn't work that way. If you are a child of God, the Bible says we are called to love him first. Yes, out of him flows the love toward others. We can't disconnect him. I'm afraid we try to disconnect them all too often. They go hand in hand. Are there hard people to love? You bet. You bet. There's some hard people to love. You might have some hard people to love in your own home. Maybe it's extended family. Hard to love. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Hard to get along with. Do we just disconnect? Is that what he's called us to? Nope. He's called us to love them. You've heard it said, right? Remember that statement? Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We're called to love. God has called us to love him and love one another. Loving him is the source for our love toward one another. Flowing from our love of God is the ability to love our neighbor. Loving God's word and keeping his commandments is predicated on the love we have for God. Listen, I talk to guys a lot over the years. And what I found is, Men in particular, some women, yes, but men in particular, this is true. Many, many men I talk to say they just don't like to read. And they use that as an excuse as to why they don't read God's word. Listen, the Lord's blessed us with all kinds of technologies that can be used for good. Maybe you don't like to read But friends, if you love God, you're going to want, you're going to find a way to get God's word in you. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing by what? The word of God. We can't disconnect this. We can't just say, as a cop out, I don't like to read. Therefore, I just, 
No, not for a child of God. Doesn't work that way. So little or no desire to read God's word. What that probably means is you have a deficit of love toward God. Without an understanding of love as God defines it, our connectedness to the other parts of the body and to others in general will be stagnant. It'll lack. If we picture ourselves in in Christ as connected to the head and we see ourselves also connected to one another, we start to take hold of God's call, His charge for His children... To love one another. First Peter chapter 1, 22 and 23 calls us to love one another fervently with a pure heart. Listen to this. Having been born again through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. Are you born again? If so, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This is not an option. Hard? Yes. A charge from the Lord? Yes. Will He empower you to do this? Yes. By His Spirit operating in you. He will help you. Remember, love is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is, that's the first one. Love. I'm spending a great deal of time on love, showing, showing to you that we've been called to love, love God, love one another. And, you know, last week I spoke of opening our homes to others. I spoke of this idea of hospitality, how important hospitality is in the life of the church. And based upon what I read in the Bible, we cannot be very hospitable if we are absent of love. Would you agree with that? We cannot be very hospitable. We could have people in our homes, yes. But if we do not have love... I would venture to say that not many people would want to come back over to your home. They'd leave your house and go, man, something. ah." And maybe they wouldn't define it as there's no love in that home. But love may not have been extended. From the scriptures, I'd just like to share two examples of hospitality here. As it relates to, you know, looking at and studying a little bit of, of this, this subject, this theme of love and, and hospitality right alongside of it. I want you to notice the place of hospitality as it relates to love. And both of these passages couple them together. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 starts out this way. Let brotherly love continue, right? Verse 2 then says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some have unwittingly entertained angels. Or 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. And then verse 9 says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Oh, it's hospitality 
Oh, that means I gotta, I gotta go buy some food. We gotta, we gotta do some extra stuff. Is that the mindset? The call is to be hospitable without grumbling. It ought to be a joy and a delight to have somebody over into your home. It ought not be a burden. Remember, his commandments are not burdensome. First John also says that too. We ought to love doing this. There ought to be something within us that when you go over to someone's home, you can tell without a doubt they're glad you're here. Oh, by the way, when you are the one going into someone else's home, you're not off the hook either. Some of you go, I get a free meal tonight. Yeah. No. We ought to instead think of this as this is an opportunity for our family to shine the light of Christ. We are going into the home of another family, and this is an opportunity to shine the light of Christ, to show love toward them. We don't take the, we don't take the night off because we're not hosting you get that? There, there ought to be something different when someone comes into your home. There ought to be something apparent when they walk into your home that they notice the love of Christ in your house. And listen, from the young ones all the way up to the older ones, every single one of you can put on display the love of Jesus Christ. For the little ones, all it takes is a big smile may not even be able to talk. Maybe all you can do is smile. Smile. Love people. Extend love. If you look at Romans, Rome, I love this passage in Romans 12. It's just a whole series of scriptures that talk about how we're supposed to behave as a Christ follower. Let love be without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. Don't fake loving somebody. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. There it is. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Remembering what we're doing here. We're serving the Lord. Look at verse 13. Uh, let's not skip 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, s- continuing steadfastly in prayer. We talked about this already a few weeks ago. Prayer, the place of prayer. And then verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Given. Listen, the church is called to behave in such a way that they give themselves to hospitality. It's not something just an elder is to do. The church is to give herself to hospitality. That's what the Bible says. When you read Acts 16, you see the Lord opens the heart of a woman. You remember that woman named Lydia? What happens when the Lord opens her heart? Acts 16, 15 says that when she and her household were baptized... 
She begged us. Listen to that. She begged us, saying, listen to what she said. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. She begged them. And we see at the end of Acts chapter 16, I love it. This is after they've been beaten, wrongly, imprisoned. They come out of the prison and they enter the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Lydia seemed to have a home now that was open for any and all, especially the brethren. Come, be encouraged, fellowship, love. Lydia opened her home. And how did it happen? She opened her heart to the Lord. You see, when you open your heart to the Lord, you're going to open your home. Because you realize this home has been given by God. This is His home. And you open it up, and all you're doing is extending the love He's freely given to you, and you pour it out on those who come in your home. Lydia's household was completely renovated after Christ moved into her heart. Her home was the Lord's home. Friends, is your home the Lord's home? Is it? This is why John 3.16 is so important. It's why we started there. It's why it's number one message in building blocks. We've been talking about this over the last few weeks. No relationship with God through Jesus Christ. No regular place of prayer needed. We talked about that place of prayer there's no equipping needed you're doing your life on auto apart from God there's little thought to taking up the towel like we talked last week and serving one another because you're too busy serving yourself no relationship with God no love toward God where's that leave you the Bible tells us second Timothy chapter 3 he says but know this that in these last days perilous times will come for men will be listen lovers of themselves Lovers of money goes on in the list and says they're going to be unloving. They're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These last days are deemed perilous times. Tell me, are there any indicators around you today that folks are becoming lovers of themselves? Any indicators of that? Any indicators that people are becoming lovers of money, pursuing money at all costs? Are there any indicators that that we have a group of people around us today that are just unloving? Or, Or how about this one? Any indicators around us today that there are those lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? I think we could say yes to all these. The pattern of the scriptures, as I've been reading through the Old Testament this month, We're just getting ready to venture into, for those of you on the 90-day journey, how many of you are on the 90-day journey? Anybody here? There's a couple of you on the 90-day journey. You you don't have to be unashamed. Go ahead. Raise your hand. This is a good thing that you're reading the Bible. Okay, 90-day journey. We just finished 2 Kings. We're jumping into that wonderful uh, one, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 of Chronicles, which is a bunch of names and genealogies, and we're going to plow through it. We're going to get through it. That's today's reading, okay? So don't, don't skip over it. 
But it's been wonderful. As we read through the Old Testament, one of the things that I've learned is that God's people love themselves. They love their things. And they love pleasure rather than God himself. They turned from God. They rebelled against God. They were deemed a stiff-necked, obstinate, stubborn people because they chose to play the harlot. That's the phrase we see. And love other gods, the gods of the nations around them. And I step back and I ask the question, how did all that work out for God's people? How did it all work out? Well, first Israel and then Judah. What are they? They're taken into captivity, right? They're given over. Having been rescued out of the land of Egypt by God and given a promised land, the people forsake God and opt for loving themselves and their own pleasures. And we live in the midst of a, what the Bible says, a perverse and wicked generation, don't we? A generation that's bent on pleasing itself at all costs. Entertain me, feed me, make me laugh. And all the while, I remember the picture of Romans 10, verse 21. All day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long. I I think of the Lord. I think his outstretched arms. Yes, we think also of his outstretched arms here too. But also think of his outstretched arms waiting for disobedient, contrary people to turn, to repent, to come to him. The chorus, he gave his life. What more could he give? What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Do not love the world or the things in the world, church. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2, 15. 2 Timothy 4, at the end of his letter, he's writing to Timothy before he's about to die. Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas is one in the scripture that's pointed to as one who loved the present world. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Elijah says it this way, when the prophets of Baal are all gathered together, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal, follow Him. You see, you have a God, church, who has rescued you from darkness and He's brought you into light. This God has saved you. He's enabled you to cross over from death to life. He's removed your blindness. He's allowed you to see. You were lost and God found you. He's the God who parted the waters and caused his people to cross over on dry ground. Church, you've been called to love. Be imitators of God, church. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. As we follow the Lord Jesus and love Him, I want you to imagine what God might do within the walls of your homes. You have a ministry in that home of yours. You have a ministry. Not just dad and mom, 
You all have a ministry in your home. But it's a ministry that's predicated on loving God. Loving Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And Jesus adds, with all of your mind. Loving others is not easy. But it's what we're called to. Love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Turn to one more passage and we're going to be done. Turn to Corinthians. I think it'd be incomplete if we didn't read these few verses in Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. A clanging cymbal. You ever heard a clanging cymbal? How many of you like clanging cymbals? Clanging cymbals. Cymbals may be okay to hear when they fit in a particular piece of music, but a clanging cymbal, it's like, oh, it's one of those piercing sounds. Hold that. Verse 2. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, listen, I can give away all my money to the poor. I can even go as a martyr. But if I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Listen to these words. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Listen, we need to hear some of these words. Because there are times in our lives when we do behave rudely. That's not love. That's not biblical love. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love, in verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Patterns of sin... Love doesn't rejoice in that. But rejoices in the truth. Verse 7. This is hard. Love bears all things. The key word there is all. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Greatest example there of one enduring all things is Christ at the cross. Amen? He endured the cross. Scorning at shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father for the joy set before Him. Love never fails 
Friends, it's my hope and prayer you choose to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. Dads and moms, that we impress these things first on our hearts and then we entrust them and teach them, pass them along to our own children. And we talk about them as Deuteronomy 6 says. We choose to love God. We choose to love one another. Remember, biblical love is an act of the will. It's accompanied by emotion, which takes then action on behalf of its object. We have been charged by God and his word to love. Love him. Love one another. And remember, as you do those things, love never fails. Never, never fails. Love him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word, and I thank you for the message of love. It's a word that is oftentimes muddied and confused in the world we live in. But Lord, you bring such great clarity of this matter of love from your word. This is in many ways a love letter from you to us. You've revealed to us your great love in this word. You sent your son. You love the world so much that you sent your son. You put on display and demonstrated your unique love toward us. That that crazy love. It is, it really is, Lord, that a holy, infinite God would choose to love us. What is man? that you're mindful of him, Lord, the son of man, that you care for him. Lord, we thank you that you've set your love upon us, not because we were the best, not because we did something to deserve it, Lord, quite the contrary. You chose us, you predestined us, you elected us. The Bible says from before the foundations of the world. That is hard to even understand and grasp. But Lord, we trust that it is so because it's your word. And we can bask in that wonderful love that you have for us. And take that wonderful love you have for us and send it out. Shine it forth that others might see it. And one of the ways and one of the platforms, Lord, that you've called us to show forth this love is within the walls of our own homes. And I pray for this church that as we have people over into our homes, and Lord, I pray that there would not just be church people in our homes, but we would get to the point, Lord, where we would have people outside of the body that would come in to be able to see and experience and hear what what it sounds like, what it looks like, for a family to be together and a family to love one another. As we bring them in our home, Lord, I pray that we would come to that place of prayer asking of you to do what only you can do, to do what you did with Lydia. You opened her heart, and when you opened her heart, you totally transformed her life and her household's life. Her home was never the same again, may it be said of us as well. Because of Christ in us, our homes are no longer the same. For your honor 
And for your glory we pray. Amen.